you see that little guy walking out here? I don't even know who he is. He has Bible, and he was walking with a mission. I thought, he just needs to preach. Like, I'll sit down. Like, that's a, that's a kid with a mission with the Word. I don't know whose he is. He's going to be a preacher. All right. So we've got a lot of Scripture this morning. A lot of Scripture. So if you don't like the Bible, this is not the place for you today. If you think the Bible's boring... I'll probably have you sleeping two-thirds of the way through. Lots of Scripture this morning, but it's going to take us to Jesus. And it's going to have something to say to you and me in our life today. I'm telling you, there's some conviction coming at the end of this sermon. So get ready. We're jumping in. Psalm 8. Psalm 8. Now, we're getting closer and closer to taking a break out of the book of Psalms, moving towards the one who the Psalms point to, which is Jesus. We'll be stepping into the Gospel of Luke in the the weeks ahead. But Psalm 8 is where we are today. Psalm 8. We're in this series through the book of Psalms, and this is a series that's going to go on for a long time because the, the book of Psalms is rich and it's deep. And I want to take every psalm, one sermon at a time, so 150 psalms, it's a long time. But we'll break it up, and we'll have fun while we do it, and we're going to get to Jesus every time. Psalm 8, here we go, Psalm 8, we'll start with verse 1. Psalm 8, verse 1, if you have your Bibles, you can walk along with me, we'll have some running commentary along the way. Psalm 8, verse 1 it's again, Psalm of David. Just uh, tradition tells us it's a Psalm of David. We'll go with David uh, for this one this morning. It's not really debated. This is a Psalm of David. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Now, we're going to stop at verse 1 and just note a few things. So, right out of the gate, I notice the tone of verse 1 is much different than the tone we've seen over the last several weeks. Over the last several weeks, what we've seen in Psalm 3 and 4 and 5 and 6 and 7 is that David begins these prayers with a cry for help, a cry for mercy, a cry for refuge. Here, he begins with a declaration of praise, like like majestic is your name. And then he pulls on this, this truth that just gets woven into so many of the Psalms that God has set His glory in the heavens. That literally, when you look out in the creation... You see the birds and the, and the trees and the clouds are all just declaring God's glory. Now, for time's sake, I just picked a couple really key places in the Psalms. We'll just go with two passages. Check this out. Psalm 19, verse 1. Same theme here. The heavens declare the glory of God and the skies proclaim the works of His hands. And then Psalm 97, 6. The heavens proclaim His righteousness. And all His people see His glory. So literally, when you look out into the sky, when you look at the, at the tree line, when you look out at the, at, at the farmland, it is declaring that God is Creator. He is majestic. He is glorious. You didn't create it. He created it. It wasn't by accident. It had a designer. God's glory is being declared through all the earth. That's what happens when you look out at the sky. You feel it when you see something really beautiful, like a sunset or a sunrise, and you don't have words to describe it. It feels so immense. That is a declaration of God Creator. That's His glory. Just a, just a, just a piece of His glory being revealed through the heavens. This is 
is just a theme that just is kind of it just rolls through the Psalms. Here, Psalm eight, this first declaration of that in this whole book. How majestic is your name? So really, it's also something just it's declaring something like really big. Like the creation is just massive. I mean, literally, it's massive. And so it just declares God's glory. Here's the thing. As immense, as great as creation is, and it's immense. I mean, can you go to Yellowstone or Yosemite? Can you go to any of these places? Even watch the documentaries. Watch Planet Earth on Netflix. Whatever it is, can you watch those things and not just see the immense greatness and largeness of the creation? But there's actually something that displays God's glory even more than the strength and power of His creation. And that's something that declares it even more than the rocks of Yosemite or the depth of the Grand Canyon. Something that declares it more. It's actually more lowly and humble and weak than anything you'd expect. Let's jump into verse 2. So here, after declaring the majesty of God's name, it's declared in the creation. We jump into verse 2. He goes on, Through the praise of children and infants, you've established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. We look at the creation. We see its immense power. And yet David then moves into this reality that actually where God's glory is displayed most clearly when put up against the power of creation is on the lips of children and infants. That's how God is going to destroy the enemy. Not through this amazing display of fireworks in the heavens. No. It will be on the lips of little children, the most vulnerable, the weak, the humble, you see that? So what's interesting is that Jesus is actually going to quote this passage when he comes up against his enemies. It is the children. It is the children who see most clearly when God's glory is on full display with God in flesh. The fullness of truth and grace on earth, in Christ, in a body, as a human being. It's not the religious leaders who hold some some very significant positional power, it's the children. It's the children who understand and declare the praise. And Jesus actually pulls on Psalm 8 to make that very clear. So I just want you to see this. Again, I told you, lots of Scripture. We've got, we've got to see this passage. So important. Matthew 21. Check this out. Here's the story. We're right up again in that last week of Jesus' life. Matthew 21. Here's what we read. Well, the blind and the lame, well, they came to Him at the temple and He healed them. When the chief priests, teachers of the law, they saw the wonderful things he did. And the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the Son of David. They were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. Yes, Jesus replied. Have you not read? From the lips of children and infants, you, Lord, have called forth your praise. Jesus quotes Psalm 8-2 as a declaration that the full power of God is right here in our midst. It's on display. And it's on display not just even in the miracles. It's in dis- on display on the lips of children. In this most lowly being 
this vulnerable, humble thing, God is establishing His power. Wow. So here's this theme I want us to track through Psalm 8. We're going to see it twice. It's a pattern. So here it is for the first time. Then we're going to see it put on repeat here in just a second. Here's the theme. God's glory and majesty are indeed displayed in the strength of creation, but they are most fully displayed in the weak, vulnerable, and humble things of this world, like the lips of children and infants. This is just backwards. You think like this? I don't think like this. I think power means big things. It means having a big military. It means having lots of money. It means having a big house. Like This is where you have power. But in God's economy, where you'll find His glory most fully is on the lips of children and infants. So if you've got a house full of kids, you've got a lot of God's glory. Just a reminder for us. Sometimes we need it. We need it. But there's also, there's also, there's also another place. There's also another really humble, weak thing that displays God's glory. So he's going to come back to that theme one more time. So let's go, let's start with creation, and then he's going to pull us, David's going to pull his mind again to this other weak thing that more fully displays God's glory. Here it is. Verse 3. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind? that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them. David now just reflects again, for the second time reflects on creation. When I just look and see everything you've made, I just, I'm amazed, it's huge, it's large, it's great, it's like, it's just immense power. And then I look in the mirror and see this very feeble, weak thing. What am I compared to? To the immense majesty of the creation. And, and so weak that you even care for this weak thing. You even would care for me. What is mankind that you are mindful of them? What is a human being that you care for them? Inside of this is obviously the record of creation. David no doubt has in his mind the record that we have in Genesis 1 and 2 of the creation. What is this thing that determines that human beings are actually cared for and that they actually, that, that God is actually mindful of a human being? It's because human beings have the stamp of the image of God. That's the thing that makes us different, is that we have the stamp of the image of God. And here I would be remiss if we didn't just go back into Genesis 1 and quote it. Because it is truth. Take a look. Genesis 1, 26-27. This is the thing in David's mind. Genesis 1, 26-27. Then God said, Let's, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, over the livestock, and all the animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in His image. In the image of God, He created them. Male and female, he created them. You mind if I take a side note? Where's this whole thing? Where, where do we get this idea that there really are men and women, no matter what, the way you feel? Genesis one twenty-seven. 
You were created. He created mankind in the image of God. In the image of God, he created them man and woman. No matter how you feel, there is such a thing as a man and a woman. And no amount of drugs or affirmation will change what God has said in the world. So, pulling back now to why are humans special? Humans are special because of the grace of God and the grace of God alone. Did Adam or Eve do anything to get the image of God? No. God chose to give them the image by His grace. His sovereign choice alone. It's not like Adam showed up, flexed his biceps, and God said, now that's a hunk. We're giving him the image. No. God created this being and then breathed life into that being, animated with the image of God. And that was only by God's choice. Not because they were something special in and of themselves. One scholar says it this way. I just really like the way he said it, so I want to quote it here. He says this, God has bestowed the highest possible honor on any earthly creature by creating them only a little less elevated than the beings that occupy the heavenly sphere. Humans have been catapulted far beyond their seeming weakness and insignificance, not by any value of their own, but simply by the action of free divine choice and grace. We talk a lot about human dignity and that every human life has dignity. We talk a lot about that. The thing that we rarely put, up, put beside that, which is actually the fundamental truth, is that human life has no dignity without the one who gave him or her life. Actually, the dignity is in the Creator, and the Creator has passed that dignity to the human being. So yes, human beings have dignity, but only because they were given that dignity by the Creator of the heavens and the earth. That's what dignity is. He is sovereign, and we have value because of Him. And so, we actually are this massive light. We are this, this massive lighthouse, beaming light to the One who gave us life. That's the way this is supposed to work. And so right here, right here you see, Again, it's us weak beings that just project glory back to God because He's the one that gave us life. The way it's supposed to work is that we give praise back to the one who gave us life. Now, David's not done because as he thinks about us, these weak beings, that God would be mindful of us, it's not just that we have the image of God, it's that we actually are given responsibility to rule the earth. No small task. So he goes on. We'll pick up verse 5 through 8 as he's getting near the close of the psalm. You have made them a little lower than the angels. You've crowned them with glory and honor. You've made them rulers over the works of your hands. you put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea, all that swim, the paths of the sea. It's just this one big meditation on how amazing it is that compared to the vast power of creation, God decided to display His glory through something quite weak compared to the power of creation. Actually, God's glory comes more fully through the human being because the human being is purely existing on God's grace. You're not giving yourself breath. God's giving you that breath. That's the point here. 
just as children and infants declare God's glory, these weak things are actually where God chooses to display His glory. It's really, in general, it's these weak beings that God has chosen to put His image. Not on the power of the sun. I mean, literally, the sun, that ball of fire, that's not where His image is. It's not in the hurricane or a tornado. It's in these feeble beings that require sleep and food. This is where He put the image. He displays the glory in the weak things of the world. And so this leads us to that, just another, just another, um, we're just going to go right back around to that theme we saw just with a little shift. Here it is, just one more time. God's glory, majesty, indeed displayed in the strength of creation, but they're most fully displayed in weak, vulnerable, humble things of the world, like human beings. That's where it is. So this is just one long meditation on God's immense glory coming through the weak things of the world. And David, after working himself through this meditation, as he thinks about creation and thinks about how God's glory is coming through like weak things like us, he gets right to the end, verse 9. Look at how he ends. He ends where he started. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And in the earth there are children and infants and human beings. How majestic is your name. That, that would seem to be the end of Psalm 8, right? Like we just done. Like we should be like, let's wrap it up. Let's pray. We'll get out. Everybody's getting early to lunch. But not so quick. I got another hour. So, Wayne's about to walk out. Um, Remember what Jesus said. I don't got it on the slide. Jesus, just going to paraphrase it, He said, all of Scripture points to Him. So every Scripture, we're looking to how it points to Jesus. And right here, Psalm 8 does just that. Because we get to the end of Psalm 8 and we're wondering, is that it? Is God's glory most displayed on the lips of infants and children, these weak beings, or just in general in human beings? Is this where it's at? Because if God's glory is coming through human beings, we got some problems because we're all really broken. We're not just weak, we're rebels. We're sinful. So it makes us wonder, but is there something else? Is there something else? It just makes me wonder, is there something even more weak than a human being? Is there a moment, is there a moment where humanity goes to the depths and that's where God's glory is displayed even more? And it just so happens that the Scriptures say yes. Yes, there is. There's one more place. It's not infants and children. It's not even just human beings in general. There's one more place that is so humble, so weak, so vulnerable, that God has chose to put the full weight of His glory in that place. Here it is. We're going to put it on the screen. The most humble reality in the universe where God's glory is most fully displayed is Christ and His cross. That's where it's at. Interestingly, the writer, the writer of the letter of the Hebrews This is a New Testament book, the book of Hebrews. The author of that letter, in chapter 2 of that letter, he actually quotes Psalm 8 to make this very point. Now, it's a a bit of a complex passage, and we're going to read the passage. But on this one, I want to give the summary of the passage before we read the passage. So we can frame it 
before we read it. And here we're about to read a lot of Scripture. But I want you to see how important the cross is to the glory of God. Here it is. Here's my summary of Hebrews 2, verse 5 through 9. Christ crucified is the most humble point that humanity has ever reached. And therefore, Christ is the most glorious person in the universe. You see the pattern. The lower you get, the higher God's glory displays. And the, the writer of the Hebrews is going to make the point, Christ is the lowest point it gets. He's going to quote Psalm two to make that, uh, Psalm 8 to make that point. And then he's going to say something about Christ's glory. Here it is. I'm quoting this out of the ESV because the ESV is quoting Psalm 8 a little more literal than what we even read in the NIV. You're going to see a term called the Son of Man. The Hebrew writer's pulling on that term, Son of Man, to refer to Jesus. Because if you remember, Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man often in his earthly ministry. So, just know we're using the English Standard Version so that we see this so clearly. Here's the, here's the passage. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we're speaking. It has been testified somewhere. That's Psalm 8. What is man that you are mindful of him, of the son of man that you care for him? You have made him a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. The Hebrew writer goes on, Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. We see him, this is Jesus, we see him, who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor. Now note, you've got to come here with me. Why is He crowned with glory and honor? Why is everything under subjection to Him? Why the fullness of God, God's glory is being displayed through Christ? It's right here. Because of the suffering of death. So that by the grace of God, He might take death for everyone. It's when the Son of Man, that is, God in flesh, He not only came into this world. That is, humbled Himself and took on flesh. Now, that's humble, that's humble enough, it would seem. No, He then took that to death. You don't get any lower. And in the lowness, He has been crowned with the fullness of glory and honor. The most glorious being in the universe. Even right now, on this Sunday, July 3rd. Most glorious being all the earth. All right. Got to see it in another place. I'm so excited. I just, I've been so excited to give you this sermon. Check this out. Like I, just, I mean, it's not like I just like make this stuff up. It's right in the scriptures because the scriptures are God's word and they tie together. Check out Psalm two. Uh, Psalm two. It's Philippians two. Philippians two, verse six to eleven. The apostle Paul writes this: Christ Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now, if you didn't read verse 9, you know the pattern. He went, he went to the cross. He died. Most humble place he could ever be. So what's coming next? If you follow the pattern, what's coming next is some declaration about how, his, how he is now the most glorious, the most honored, the most powerful being in the universe. You're going you're to watch, watch this play out, and that's exactly what happens in verse 9. Watch this. Therefore, because he went to the lowest of the low, 
death on a cross, God exalted him to the highest place. Gave him the name that is above every name. That on the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It is when Jesus went to His lowest that God's glory flowed the freest. It's at that moment. It's at the cross. When the full display of our sinfulness was right there to be seen by anyone who had eyes to see. Why did Christ go to a cross? Because sin had to be dealt with. It had to be punished. The wrath of God had to be poured out on our rebellion. And it's at that moment on the cross that you see you are a rebel. So many humans can't get this. They still think they got it all together. But on the cross, when you got eyes to see, you see the sinfulness of sin. And you also see the graciousness of His grace. Right there. In that moment is the lowest low and the highest glory on display for you see things as they really are. There's God's glory. And so would you would you could you just be surprised would you be surprised that when Paul gets to this point in his letter to the Corinthians, he's talking about like the thing that he preaches. Like, here's the thing I preach. Do I do I preach Roman politics? Do I do I preach goodwill to all men? Like what do I preach? Here's what he preaches. First Corinthians. 1, 18-31. We're just taking an excerpt of the passage. I didn't want to give us all the verses there. Here it is. For the, fool, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to, the, to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. It is because of Him that you are in Christ Jesus who became for us wisdom from God that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. There it is. Right there. Who in the world would imagine that glory and honor, exaltation and majesty would come through the lips of a weak, vulnerable, human, a, a humble thing like a child? That's what God does. A human being God does. The death of the Son of God? In what world is that glory? In the kingdom of God is glory. But for most people, it's just foolishness. That's not power. That's weakness. But to God, it is glory. Because that's where His love and God is love. That's where love is displayed most fully. You've got to go to the cross. There's a lot of theology right there. All of that right there. It was all in Psalm 8. So we've got to make some application. Like, that's got to get on the ground, right? Like, so how do you take theology, all that deep stuff, and get it down to your house when you go to have lunch, or to the Chinese restaurant, or to Mexico? Like, how does this even work out? That's where we're going next. Here's some application. Let's just, just we're going to build it out. And we'll do it fairly quickly here. The creation, so we're still talking about creation, and the cross, they show me two things, really. They show me my weakness. Okay? You ever looked at a sunset and felt weak? There it is. You're not so big. You're not so powerful. But it also shows me God's power. So we keep that in mind. The creation shows me my weakness, literally. Like, I can't bring the sun up. There is a limitation to my power. Right? Okay. 
right alongside that's the cross, and the cross shows me my sin. It tells me I'm never as good as I think I am. It means that I'm actually a cosmic rebel trying to do things my way when I want to do them because I'm in control. Like the cross puts on display how significant that sin is. It's so significant that the Son of God had to die for me. That's how significant. And don't worry, I downplay my sin all the time. You do too. No one thinks their sin's that bad. But when we come into the light of God's revelation, you see your sin for what it is. So the creation and the, and the cross show me my weakness, but God's power, my sin, but God's grace. Alright? Now here's the thing about all that. Practical terms, I'm always trying to hide my weaknesses. And I'm usually denying my sinfulness. Like that's, you want to get that on the ground? I'm hiding my weakness. And I'm usually trying, I'm usually denying my sinfulness. Okay? Alright, so what does that, like how does that, how does that look in everyday life? What does that look like for you? I'll just tell you what it looks like for me. Here we go. I rarely ask for help. Literally. I rarely ask for help. We had a situation in our home this morning. Someone said they could help in our Sunday school class. I hesitated. Why? Because I thought I could figure it out. I could figure this out. You like asking for help? I doubt it. It's hard to ask for help. So I rarely ask for it. I usually think I'm right. Now, there's a caveat here. The reason I usually think I'm right is because I'm usually right. Okay? You are too. I get it. Okay. But I usually think I'm right. I usually don't walk around thinking I might have it wrong. No, when I have an opinion, it's right. Like that's that's how that's my default. So my politics are right, my theology is right, I'm always right in the home. Like I'm right. You might be too. I rarely admit I'm wrong. Now, Tess was here, she'd be like, she's not charismatic, but she may get Pentecostal on that one. Like, Amen. Yeah, Amen. Okay. All right. I rarely ask for feedback. Why would I need feedback if I'm always right? You get the point. You see the cycle. And I rarely say I'm sorry. That's a hard one. Who likes saying they're sorry? And if I do, I might be spinning it just to a certain, like, I might just be spinning it just so I can get out of what I did. Okay? All right. You feeling that? You got trouble saying you're wrong? Okay. So let me just boil this down to two application points that are real, like, I, I want to make them simple. One's going to seem real religious, but I, it's not super religious. It's just reality. The, the problem's not with the, the truth. It's with us thinking that we've got it all together. So two points of application. We'll put them up at the same time. Here it is. Come to Christ for salvation. So, like, here's, 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 like, here's that, like, altar call invitation moment. Seriously, if you've never come to Jesus for salvation... You need Jesus for salvation. So, I, like, again, I know I'm talking to maybe potentially the choir here. But I don't know every part. So if you've not come to Christ for salvation, you have to have Christ for salvation. There's no other way to be saved. You have to come to Him and know that you are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone, not in your works. You're not going to be good enough. Don't get to the end of your life and say, was I good enough? No, the answer is no. It will always be no. You aren't good enough. You need Christ. This is the cross. That's where God's glory is. All right. The second one is move towards humility. Like literally, we all need to take moves towards humility because where will you find life? Where will you find where will you find the fullness of God's glory? It's in Christ. And guess what? Christ is the ultimate example of humility. So you and I gotta move towards humility. 
And I'm going to do something right now I've never done. I have three next steps. Don't put them up yet. The reason I have three next steps is because I'm trying to hit all of y'all. I figure some of these, one of these might hit at least one of you. Now, it may hit, all three might hit all of you. But what I'm saying is just pick one of them. Just pick one. If you're super holy, you'll pick two. If you're, a, if you're like a saint with one foot in heaven, you're going to do all three. But point is, pick one. So here's where it gets really, the rubber hits the road. Three next steps. I know they're going to be hard to remember, so let's try to get one. First one, ask for help. Like seriously, like if there's something going on in your life and you need help, ask for help. Okay, this isn't like some theory. I mean, literally, if, if you like get sick this week and you can't get out and get groceries, call someone in for help. Like, ask for help. You know who you are who struggle with that. Ask for help. Here's the next one. This is for you, Scott. Say sorry when you mess up next. So when you're leaving the church building and you mess up, say sorry. I'm assuming someone's going to mess up before you get out of this building. The point here is learn to say sorry. Now, what I want to be very careful of here is please don't use my words to win the argument this week. Because there's another one coming, the next slide too. It's going to apply to that one too. If you get it, if you mess up this week, okay, we'll just go with spouses. If you mess up this week and you and you're not you haven't yet said sorry, or you're kind of getting there, spouse, you don't look at your don't look at your spouse and say, you know the preacher said you're supposed to say sorry. You're going to hell if you don't say sorry. It may get you the sorry, but let, let's, let's work on that. Let's just let the Holy Spirit do some work there. Point is, you're going to mess up with somebody. At work, you're going to mess Now, if you do this driving, I, I don't know how you say sorry when you're driving. Like, if you, there could be so many things there. But the point is, like, when you mess up, say sorry. Like, acknowledge that you don't have it all together and you mess up. So say sorry. That's a move to a lowly place. Actually, that's where God will be when you say sorry. Now, here's the next one. Here's the next one. This may be coming out of my own life. I don't know. Here's the next one. Acknowledge where you're wrong in your next argument. Have you ever been in an argument and never thought anything you're saying is wrong? Yeah, like almost every argument I have. Tess and I will celebrate 20 years of marriage uh, later, uh, later this month. It took me about 10 of those to figure out that I wasn't always right. Like, literally, when we get into an argument, I need to, like, consciously be remembering there may be something I don't see, and I might be wrong. And sometimes, she's got to tell me, you know you could be wrong. And then I'll say, but I'm not in this case. I know I can be, and it's always this hypothetical could be, somewhere in the future. But in this moment, I'm not. When you get into an argument, even with your kids, I know, I know, I don't mean to do this to you. But when you get into an argument, even with your kids, acknowledge that you may not be right. I know. I'm seeing it. I'm seeing it happen right now. Emma's telling Mark. And Mark, in your case, I, I'm just going to like, I'm just, I feel like I'm flowing with inspiration. It's right. She's right. She's right. Yeah. And Emma, in your case, you can use the preacher card. Okay? Okay. Whatever you want today, the preacher said, absolutely. All right. Okay. Uh, if it's money, I get a cut. Or you got a tithe. You got a tithe or give me a cut. One or the other. All right? Um, but seriously, when you get into an argument next, 
your spouse, your children at work, just step back and go, I might have somewhere in this argument I'm wrong. Like these are practical ways you and I go lowly. And the reason we go lowly, it's not just so we can be humble people or you have a good marriage. The point is it draws us to Christ because we never forget. It is the cross and Christ crucified. That's where life is. And in His resurrection, He was vindicated. He's the most honored and glorious person in the universe. And He went the most lowly. We follow Him. We follow the way of the cross. That's the glory. So all of this gets us back to Jesus. Okay? Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. And thank You for the example of Christ. And then His example was actually not just an example, it was a reality. That by His death and resurrection, we have salvation. If we come by grace, through faith to Him, would You draw us and then help us in very practical ways this week acknowledge the way of humility, the way of being lowly, saying sorry, asking for help, acknowledging that we're wrong sometimes in arguments. We need You, and we need the way of the cross, so we keep it in front of us. It is the power of salvation. And in it, we see Your grace. Your marvelous, marvelous grace. Thank you for that. And so we pray this in the name of Him who has a name and with every name, every knee will bow to Christ Jesus. Together we say,